What's up, everyone? This is James Watkins with the Five Solos Podcast. And as always, I hope that you are all doing absolutely positively fantastic. So this week, I have something kind of special for you guys. I know I was supposed to have the Theological Great, Theological Not So Great recorded, and we're starting that series again. But I promise you, I am recording with the great Reverend, almost Dr. Frank Mullis, and we're going to go ahead and knock out all the episodes. But today, I have something very special for you guys. You see, back in February, I was invited to a uh, friend's church where there had been two suicides in the congregation. So given my passion for the topic, uh, my friend decided that he was going to invite me down to speak to a very large gathering of men on the topic of suicide and depression within the church. And also during this time, I shared my testimony. So if you haven't listened to uh, episode number two, which was a while back, then you're going to hear a little bit of that. So I'm actually kind of excited about this because I completely thought that I had lost the audio for this message that I delivered to those guys. But without further ado, I'm not going to keep blabbing. I could blab all day, night, whatever time you're listening to this. But without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and play that sermon that I delivered to those guys. Thank you all for listening, and may all that you do be done to the glory of God. Um, I open conversation on this. Uh, My hope is actually that there is going to be conversation. Um... What, what I would prefer, if you don't mind, is I'm not going to go too long because I do want to open up the door for conversation, is if you have questions, uh, if you would, just jot them down, take a mental note. Um, first and foremost, thank you all for having me. You've been very hospitable. Paul is very hospitable. Posted me in his house last night. Uh, this is a very heavy topic, and my hope is that ultimately that we'll see the sufficiency of Christ in all situations. Uh, if there was one thing that last night taught me, uh, it was very encouraging, uh, is I was able to speak with two people very clearly uh, regarding the gospel. Don't think I'll ever forget their names now. Uh, but uh, one of them was a, uh, I asked him, I said, have you ever had the gospel explained to you? And I was like, oh, yeah, I was, uh, I was in Roman Catholic school for nine years. And I was like, well, can I please explain the gospel to you in a way that you've probably never heard it? And Thankfully, he actually sat there and listened. I said, do you understand that message? He was like, yeah. Uh, other one was drunk as all get out. But, you know, that's the power of God is that he can even take a drunken man and change his heart. But uh, very grateful for the trust that Paul has put in me today to stand before you to deliver some sort of message on such a very heavy and uh, burdensome topic. So I do have a quick question that I want to ask. Uh, It's very personal. It's okay if you don't want to answer it. I'm not going to hold anything against you. I'm not going to rebuke you if you don't answer. Uh, I just want to know how many people in here, how many of you men, have struggled with depression or thoughts of suicide or you know someone who has struggled in these areas? That big part ought to get us off. (laughs) (laughs) It, It is a very broad scope and... All the statistics say that at some point, the majority of people are going to experience it in some way, whether it's directly or indirectly. Uh, I do want to dive into my testimony a little bit before we get started. I'm always very weary about doing that because my my biggest fear is that in my flesh is I want to take glory for myself. Um, That's not at all what I aim to do. Uh, my testimony and your testimony is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. Uh, the gospel, our, our testimonies, your testimony is not the power of God unto salvation. 
That's the gospel. The, our testimonies are simply a means and an opportunity for us to exalt Christ and how he graciously saved us from God's wrath. Uh, it's not a means to glorify ourselves, but a chance to glorify God and make known his mercy. But it's also a chance for us to warn of the coming wrath that's, that's there for those who do not trust and repent of their sins. Now, before I was saved uh, by God's grace, uh, over five years ago, I was a professing atheist. Uh, there were times where uh, I went back and forth in my belief system. I was an atheist where I did not believe that there was a God. Uh, there were times where I professed to be an agnostic. Uh, I, do not know, I do not think that we could ever know if there is a God. But do you know that there were times that I prayed to God? And I think that that right there speaks to the truth of Romans 1, that everyone without exception knows that God exists, but we suppress that truth and unrighteousness. Uh, but the God that I was praying to was not the one true God. It was this image of who I thought that God should be. I had created a God made in my image. So pretty much I had made an idol. But regardless of what I profess, according to Ephesians 2.1, I was dead in trespasses and sin. I was born a child of wrath. And apart from God raising me to spiritual life, I was bound for hell. As we all know that the requirement given by Jesus is that we must be born again in John 3. <clears throat> to start off, I want to go back to when I was 15. A suicide is one of those things where unless you're impacted by it, you really don't think too much about it. Uh, but I was 15 years old whenever I first had my first run-in with suicide when my mother attempted suicide. I uh, had a nervous breakdown from work, uh, and unfortunately she was not able to overcome that. But it greatly impacted me. I remember the day very, very vividly. Uh, I remember her being in the hospital room receiving treatment, having to drink charcoal in order to absorb the medication that she had ingested. Uh, there are so many different ranges of emotions that will hit you whenever this occurs. There's the emotion of, of, of sadness. Of course, I remember looking at her and being sad that my mother is in this predicament. Is she going to make it? Is there anything that I could have done to have prevented this from happening? And then you're hit with anger. It's like, why would she do this to us? Did she not love us enough? But then comes the confusion. It's like, how in the world could this happen? How in the world, in my mind, how in the, the world can there be such a loving and merciful God who allows things like this to happen in this world? And we're going to come back to that. So fast forwarding now to uh, around 2009. I've always loved martial arts. You might not be able to tell it right now. But I used to, I, I love martial arts. I still do. Uh, I trained in Taekwondo for about seven, seven years. I was a red belt in Taekwondo. I was one belt away from my black belt. Um, in 2009, I started to have kind of this itch uh, that I wanted to get back into training, and I was about to start training at a gym in Macon, Georgia. And somebody was like, why don't you just go to this gym in uh, Milledgeville? And I was like, I didn't know there was one. So I looked it up, and uh, I'm around 21 years old, and I find this gym, I join it, uh, I met Frank Mullis. Uh, he is, uh, I knew that he was a pastor at the time, but I never really knew much about him. Uh, never really had much conversation with him. But martial arts was, was my outlet 
at that point. It was a way for me to relieve all my stress. It was a way for me just to hit stuff and not get in trouble. But then we, uh, I ended up getting injured there. Actually, I messed my ankle up pretty bad, and I just kind of faded away from it after that. I ended up moving to uh, Macon, Georgia. So at about the ages of 23 to 24, I started to battle depression. I really don't know what the cause of it was. There was no uh, major instance in my life that, that, to me, should have led to a depression. Uh, the only thing that I know is that the root of anything such as depression is always sin. That's the root of it. I, I secluded myself from family and friends, uh, friends that I had known ever since uh, middle school. And still to this day, because of that seclusion, I still haven't talked with them. Uh, I began to drink very heavily. I told Bobby and Paul last night that my nightly routine after work was to go to the liquor store every night without fail. And I would get a bottle about that big of vodka or Jaeger, and I would down the entire bottle that night. Uh, there were a lot of times where I woke up the next morning to go to work and I was still drunk. Uh, I had the mindset that ultimately every single thing in this world is completely meaningless, that there was no need to even try. And I was being consistent with that worldview. If, if I'm an atheist, ultimately nothing is uh, meaningful. Ultimately, the, whole, the end game is that we're all going to become extinct anyways. We're all going to die. Nothing's going to happen. We're just a cosmic accident walking around, and there's nothing really wrong with anything that we do. And uh, the, the guy that Bobby was talking to last night, it was funny, uh, because he admitted, he said, uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe anything's meaningful. I actually think everything's meaningless. And I was like, Thomas, do you have a job? He's like, yeah. He's like, do you have family that you love? He's like, Yeah. I was like, then why do you get up and go to work every single day, and why do you love others if everything is meaningless? The point is, is that you cannot be consistent with that mindset because what you're doing is you are not living consistently in that worldview. You're actually borrowing from ours, the Christian worldview, that says all are created in the image of God, and because of that, there is a meaning behind everything that we do that is serving a higher purpose, especially for a believer. Because ultimately, every single instance is going to bring glory to God. But as I progressed further into my depression, I decided that I wanted to take my life. And I was going back to my mom's attempt. I went back and forth with it for a while. I'm thinking about suicide for a while, and I'm going back and forth, remembering that day that my mom attempted suicide. And I remember the hurt that it caused me. But do you know that I thought that my going away would have been more beneficial instead of thinking about the pain that others would feel? Because that's the, that's the power of a mind in a fallen world. I just wanted out. I sat down one night and I wrote notes. I wrote suicide notes. Uh, I wrote one to my mother and father, one to my sister, and one to my best friend. I laid the notes down on my coffee table, went over to my apartment door, and I unlocked it. That way they didn't have to kick the door in if they come into the apartment. I sat down with sleeping pills. I was going to take an entire bottle. And I sat down with the intention to take my life. And so I'm about to do it. I'm drunk, and I'm a completely broken mess. And then as I'm sitting there, I had the first batch of pills in my hand. 
And as I'm sitting there for the first time in my life, just out of nowhere, I just got gripped with a fear. And I had never felt a fear like this before in my life. I found myself wondering really and truly for the first time about eternity. I asked myself, if heaven and hell are real, where would you go? I thought to myself that surely if there's a God, I've done enough good to get to heaven. Certainly the good outweighs the bad. That's very Muslim. The scales tip in your favor based upon your words, but you never have that, that assurance. But how prideful it is to think that any of my good works could ever atone for any sin that I've ever committed against a holy and righteous God. But sadly, that's the mindset of not only people outside of the church, but those that are within it as well. That we are all basically good and sin just isn't that big of a deal. It's just a little white lie, right? Before a holy and just God, that's condemnable by hell. I'm sitting there pondering this question, if heaven and hell are real, where am I about to go? I sat back in my computer chair and spun around, and all to the side is a bookshelf. On that bookshelf were my boxing gloves and my Brazilian jiu-jitsu white belt. I never progressed further than that. It did have a stripe on it, though, so I was proud of that little stripe. But at that point, I remembered Frank Mullis, a man that I had never really spoken to. I remember he was a pastor. His name clicked with me. For some reason, it just clicked. And I knew, in my drunken state, I knew that he would have the answer to whether I would go to heaven or hell. And so what I did was I got on Facebook, and you can say anything that you want about Facebook, but I'm convinced that Facebook helped save my life that night. <laughs> but I messaged Frank on Facebook, and I said, hey, it's been a while since I talked to you. I hope you're doing well. I just have a quick question. If someone commits suicide, will they go to hell? And he was, he's always on his phone, so thank God for that too. Uh, but at this point, I had no idea that he was a counselor on the side as well. So I quickly realized that if you ask a counselor. Well, he didn't know that that moment he sent that message. Frank <laughs> sent me a message and said, start praying for this guy right Ooh. now. <laughs> right now, start praying for this guy. He's thinking about killing himself. Something about the prayers of a righteous man, wow. right? <laughs> but I had no idea it was a counselor. And evidently you ask a counselor if. Someone commits suicide. Evidently, there's a red flag that goes off. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Frank messages me back, and the first thing that he says, wow, you're not going to do it, are you? And knowing Frank the way that I do now, I'm sure that he was saying that in a sarcastic way. In some way, but very serious at the same time. Uh, but it angered me. I remember sitting there, I was like, is this guy serious? Like, I just want a yes or a no answer. I just want, just, just give me heaven, hell. And I sat there and I mess messaged him back. He was trying to talk, talk to me a little bit, and I got angry with him. I was like, look, buddy, I just want to know if I'm going to hell. Can you give me an answer? <laughs> and he told me, there were two things that he told me, and I'll never forget it, is he told me that God put, put him on my mind and that I needed him to help me. And, yeah, I didn't respond. The other thing he told me was that, you message me because you're afraid you're going to go to hell. If you're afraid that's where you're going to go, it might very well be. I broke down. 
at that point, I had my laptop on the, on the desk. I swatted it off. I was angry because I think at that moment, I realized that absolutely everything that I ever believed I knew was a lie. So I stopped messaging back. Uh, and I'm sitting there. I'm sitting on uh, the couch in my living room. And, you know, I'm doing the typical depressed, rocking back and forth thing. Uh, and my phone rings. And I look down, it's a 478 area code. I recognize the area code, so I'm like, hey, maybe this is a friend of mine or something. And I was like, in, in that kind of state of mind, I shouldn't have even been thinking about answering the phone, but I hit answer. And I picked it up, and it's Frank Mullis. He had driven to his martial arts academy and got my phone number off file and called me. But he talked me down. He kept asking me where I'm at, and I was like, buddy, I'm not telling you that because you're going to try to get me thrown in the nut house. <laughs> But he taught me down, and I believe that this night was the night that God started to draw me to himself. As Paul said, no one can come to the Father unless yeah. he is drawn to him. That's John 6, 44. I was saved months later. I met my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife at the time, obviously. Uh, but I met her. And I look back and I realize just how merciful God is because his righteous judgment against me at that point would have been letting me kill myself and go right to hell. That's what I deserved. Uh, I'm now the associate pastor at Deborah Baptist Church. Uh, my pastor now, the man who disciples me, is the very same man that I knew nothing about that night that I messaged him. It's the same man I thought of at one of the biggest moments of weakness in my life. It's the same man who taught me down, practically a total stranger. And before he hung up with me, he told me, he said, if you know if something happens to you, I won't be able to live with myself. How providential is that? That years before, I would meet a man, have no idea who he is, but know that one fact about him, that he's a pastor. Didn't even know if he was a faithful pastor. That I would just so happen to place those two items on that bookshelf, and at the moment I'm about to take my life, I just happen to glance over and think about that same man. And that now that man is in my life probably more so than anybody else. <coughs> But what he was doing that night, he was being salt and light in the, way that, in the way that we're commanded to be. The part that angers me, and this is where the passion will come out, was that throughout my entire life, I was around a lot of professing Christians. And can I tell you how many of them ever tried to share the gospel with me? Not one. Not one. Between middle school, high school, college, and work, None of them ever shared the gospel with me. None of them even attempted. But when our mindset is that we don't have to preach the gospel but live the gospel, what can we expect? When emphasis is placed on relationship but not the gospel, that's what you get. The way that you live, the way that any of us live, can never result in someone coming to faith because even your very best work is tainted with sin. Our call is to be faithful ministers to the word and to preach the gospel to all creation. Paul didn't say preach the gospel, use words if necessary. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He didn't say that building relationships is the power of God unto salvation. He said in Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That's why we go. 
Because it's not us that has the power to draw someone. It's God himself. The gospel is a necessary message that must be presented. And Romans 10, 17 says faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. God in his infinite mercy and wisdom has ordained that his creatures, his people, would be part of his people coming to faith. And he graciously uses us as a means to give the gospel that others may come to know Christ. So now we tie this in, that there is a reality within the church and outside of the church of suicide. I care deeply about this topic, and we all should, for one simple reason. It's the reason why we care about the babies that are murdered in the womb is that every single person on this earth, regardless of race, regardless of gender, is created in the image of God. Depression has been called the common cold of psychological disorders, and suicide is sometimes a result of that. For clarity, suicide is the intentional taking of one's own life. It's self-murder, and it is sin. There's no way around it. It is someone taking their life into their own hands for whatever reason and violating the image of God. For starters, the declaration needs to be that life is a precious gift of God. All life is valuable. Furthermore, the declaration needs to be that there is always another way. But the unfortunate reality is that suicide does occur. There are nearly 45,000 suicides per year in the United States alone. And a lot of those are veterans. For every successful suicide, there are 25 attempts. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. The second leading cause among ages 10 through 34, and fourth leading between 35 and 54. <coughs> Teen suicide is a big issue. Now social media has made that a lot easier for that to be broadcasted with Facebook Live. There, even in our own state, there's an instance of a girl who had been bullied at school going on Facebook Live and hanging herself live. In Florida, back in 1994, a six-year-old lost her mother to a terminal illness. She stepped in front of a train. Sounds like an accident until you find the letter that says, I'm going to see mommy. The rate of suicide has grown by over 30% in the last 15 years. And keep in mind that this is statistics from the United States alone. Worldwide, there are over 1 million suicides per year. That equals to 3,000 per day and a suicide every 40 seconds. These numbers represent actual people with actual faces, with actual names. They are image bearers of God, and that's why we should care deeply about this. And that's why this subject matters. That's why when Paul asked me if I could come, I was like, I think that I have a responsibility to. There are people who have felt a hurt so deep within their souls that they were, even if briefly, were consumed with a darkness that they didn't believe a light could reach. You want to know another reason we should care? Because we should love our neighbor. We have to face the realities that there are those within the church that struggle with depression and thoughts of suicide. This is something that I have dealt with over the past few months. And I am very thankful for Steve because he picked up the phone when I told him and asked me how bad it was. It meant a lot more than he knew. There are other brothers and sisters in Christ that deal with this silently. 
And I think that the universal church in general has done a terrible job preparing the saints with how to deal with this issue. Before we can move into ministering to these people that are dealing with this, we need to confront the root cause. In all instances of depression, whether you're talking about chemical imbalances, traumatic experience, or other events in the life of a person, the ultimate cause of depression and suicide is sin. If you want to know why the world is the way that it is, all you have to do is read Genesis 3. We are all born fallen. Depression suicide is a result of the fall of man that occurred in the Garden of Eden. That's why depression and suicide ultimately all death. That's why it is so hurtful. It's unnatural to God's good creation. There can be a lot of things that are at the root of why a person feels the way that they feel. But we know ultimately that anything that is not good is a result of the fall of man and sin entering into God's good creation. Now, what do we do whenever suicide becomes a reality? It's occurred. Now we have to deal with it. And there are a lot of questions that come as a result of this, especially if you have been impacted directly. We weep with those that weep. We minister to them the hope of Christ even in the tragedy. Is suicide a sin? Yes, it is. That's already been established. We are called to live fully for God, and the decision to die is not ours to make. Life is a precious gift given to us, and it's not a gift that should be destroyed. But for believers, there's life. For non-believers, it's harder, even if they want to admit it. Because in, say, the atheistic worldview, or any worldview that ignores God, life can never have the value that they assign to it. So it is a constant struggle. If we are nothing more, if there is nothing more, then ultimately, what's the point? There's no need to push forward. There's no need to love. But we all know there is more. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says that God has set eternity in our hearts. We all know that there's something more. That's why we live like there is. All know this, even the atheists. Anyone who is a denier of the one true God is suppressing that truth and unrighteousness according to Romans 1. And they are without excuse. Say that line again. It's a great line. All who suppress that truth are doing so in unrighteousness because they all know God exists. Even the atheists, even the Buddhists, even the Muslim, they know that the one true God exists. He has made known his existence. Now make no mistake about it. Getting to the place where you do not see light and hope is a terrible place to be. We hear people condemn others who are at that point, And if you have never been there, praise God and I hope that you never get to that point. Because over a million people per year get there and they don't get through it. Now when it comes to a Christian going through this depression and thoughts of suicide, there are a lot of questions that come up. And I'm going to first make a disclaimer for this. If anyone dies and they are outside of Jesus Christ, they will go to hell. John 8.24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But not one person who has been raised to spiritual life by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, where he takes that heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh, whenever he makes you born again, no one that has ever been born of the Spirit will be separated from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. John 10, 28 says that he gives us eternal life and no one will ever snatch him from his hands. 
So our first question, can a Christian battle depression? I think the answer to that is yes. There are seasons that come and go in the life of a Christian, and some of these seasons are darker than other seasons. And it's well documented that great preachers such as Charles Spurgeon battled depression often. Something to consider. Can a Christian who is battling these things be salt and light to others who are struggling? Can a Christian who is battling depression, thoughts of suicide, be light, salt and light to others? Charles Spurgeon recalls preaching, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he remembers that Monday he heard a knock at his door. He goes to the door and it's a man. He said that the man looked tired. He let the man come in. The man said, I had never felt like someone was preaching directly to me in the way that you were. Spurgeon says, by God's grace, I saved that man from suicide. But I know that I would not have been able to help him had I not been confined to the dungeon in which he lay. I think it's very obvious that a lot of times hurt people can hurt people. But I also think that there are plenty of times where God can use broken people to bring light and hope to others. So now let's move to the more serious side, the more difficult side. Can a Christian commit suicide? And this is where I tread very, very carefully because I don't know the heart of any man. I wish I did, but I don't. I don't think, first of all, my job is to declare that everyone's saved. I don't know if you remember Oprah, whenever she gave out a car, that you get a car, you get a car. It's not our job to say you have salvation, you have salvation, you have salvation. It's our job to tell people how to be saved. Obviously, there are going to be people who profess to be Christians who are not truly saved. And I don't think that if you're approached in the way that I approached Frank Mullis about suicide, that eternal security is the place that you want to go. I don't think if somebody says, well, if you commit suicide, will you go to heaven or hell? I don't think you want to say, well, Jesus says that you'll never be snatched out of his hand. Because I don't want to give somebody a reason to move forward. I think it's obvious that all Christians can fall into sin. Christians can lie. We can steal. We can blaspheme. We can commit adultery. We do those indeed. And get this, fault. We're capable of physically sinning, capable of mentally sinning. Lusting with the eyes, we do not live in full and complete trust and obedience in Christ. We are told to be holy, for he is holy, but we fail miserably at that. But that's why we have Christ. But there is a huge difference between other sins and the sin of suicide. If someone tells a lie, if someone steals, if someone blasphemes, we can repent of that sin. If someone takes their life, there's no repentance. But this is where we need to have a proper understanding of what repentance is. Does repentance save us? And there's a yes and a no to that. We can't say that repentance results in us being saved. That's worse. Ultimately, what that's saying is that the ceasing of our bad works is what produces salvation. I think the way to go is that rather repentance is a result of us being saved. And as Christians, we will grow in repentance and holiness. Repentance is a change of mind leading to a change in our actions because we are changed in heart. If your mind hasn't been changed about sin, your heart more than likely hasn't been changed. If your mind hasn't been changed about sin, your heart probably hasn't been changed. But I cannot say that if someone takes their life that that is an automatic hell sentence. 
I'm not prepared to say that someone can't fall into a season of darkness and get to the point where they commit a grave sin. What I know is that suicide is not the answer. There's always another way. I know that if someone is born again and has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they have an eternal life. I know that if someone is outside of Christ, the world that they thought was unbearable would have been all the heaven that they would ever have lived. I know that the God of the universe, the one who formed the mountains and controls the waves of the sea, is just and he will always do what is right. I understand the questions of if and will a true Christian ever take their life or try to take their life. There's a question of perseverance, and rightly so. But I think when we do that, we mistakenly forget that every sin we commit is against God and God alone. And God is faithful even when we're not. For those outside of the church, the lost, the message is clear. There's another way. It's okay to seek help. We love you and we're here. For Christians struggling with this, the message is clear. There's another way. It's okay to seek help. We love you and we're here. But above all else, for both the Christian and the lost, the gospel is the light that we share. Jesus is the light of the world. Believers should understand that our affliction is light and momentary, and it is producing for us in the path of obedience an eternal weight of glory. That's 2 Corinthians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If you battle this, focus on the faithfulness and the treasure that you have in Christ Jesus in all of your afflictions. Get into the word of God. Go before the throne of God in prayer. Be discipled by godly influences and your darkness will be illuminated. Above all else, preach the gospel to yourself until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and that you're loved. Do not think that you have ever, I don't care if you've been saved for 50 years, do not think that you have ever outgrown your need for the gospel. It's sanctifying. It conforms us more to the image of Christ. It humbles us. If you, are, if you ever, for a moment in your weakness, think that you're worthy of any mercy or grace, look to the cross. What you deserve was nailed there. And you can never adequately see the love of God on the cross until you first see his wrath there against sin. The message for believer and non-believer is simply this. That we have all broken the law of God. We've all lied, stolen, blasphemed. That's only three of the Ten Commandments. And that is enough to be condemned to an eternity in hell. But God is rich in love and mercy. So much so that he left heaven and entered into his creation as a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Where he lived the life that we were commanded to live. That we cannot and will not live. Where he was crucified in complete agony. And he died on the cross, paying the debt that we as sinners owe to God. But for depression, thoughts of suicide, it's conquered. And we know that because Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. We know that his work here 
was satisfactory because he ascended on high. And the light and hope for a believer is that he's coming again. That if we repent of our sin, if we turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And God is faithful to keep us regardless of our lack of faithfulness. There is another way, and that way is found in the way, the truth and the life. Cast your burdens upon the Lord, he will sustain you. Go to him all who are weary and burdened, and he will give you rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And there is a great encouragement looking at our Savior. We have a Savior that's relational. Jesus understands our suffering. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He understands what it's like to grow weary. He definitely understands pain. He understands betrayal. He understands loss. When Lazarus died, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. And you know that Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But what did Jesus still do? He wept. Within his very soul, Jesus resonated with the pain of loss. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Can I plead with you for just a moment before we move into any questions? Outside of Paul and Steve and now Bobby and Dustin, I don't know any of you. But think for a moment, how many people do you come into contact with on a daily basis? How many of these people are you truly loving? How many of these people, including your family and your friends, do you share the gospel with? How many of these people have you ever shared the gospel with? Thousands upon thousands of people are going to die today. And do you know that thousands upon thousands of people are going to go to hell? If we have a care for their souls, if we truly love our neighbor, the gospel should be a priority. It's not buildings. It's not relationships. So they are important. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And for someone in darkness, they need it. Please, for the love of your neighbor, do not be weighed down by fear or ignorance. Because on that day that we all stand before God, we will have no excuse. Preach the gospel and woe to you if you do not.